Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Why did Jesus die? It might come as a surprise to you to learn that not all Christians agree on the answer to that question, not today and certainly not historically, except maybe in the broadest of broad strokes, and maybe not even then. In fact, there are competing theories of the atonement that offer different reasons for why Jesus died. That is, what are the economics involved within God himself when it comes to the death of Christ and the satisfaction of sin? You can generally boil the theories down to seven. I won't go through them all. Many of them have some overlap. They all, of course, appeal to Scripture. The main differences revolve around just how much authority the devil has in this redemptive sacrifice, whether Christ is actually punished for other people's sins, or whether Jesus is more or less providing a moral example for us all to follow. Because I usually try to apply our theology in preaching, I don't often take time to explain this doctrine, and this is really the only night where we look at the crucifixion of Christ, at least in detail, to consider the different theories of the atonement. Well, in the broadest of broad strokes, we believe that Jesus died for our sins so that we might be forgiven. But why does our forgiveness require a dead Jesus? Couldn't God have achieved this another way? Perhaps by simply decreeing us as forgiven without such a sacrifice? Well, the answer is no. Our forgiveness really does require a sacrifice. But why? The earliest theory is the moral influence theory. It basically argues that in the life and death of Jesus, we see the kind of sacrifice necessary to live a moral life. Jesus had to die to show us what it looks like to do the right thing, to demonstrate that God was willing to do what he asks us to do. Well, this tends to put the ball in the Christian's court and you will see this view quite strongly rejected by the Reformers. Because if the cross is just an example, then it is us to follow that example instead of relying on the finished work of the cross. Now, Jesus does say to carry our cross and follow him. There is no denying that Jesus is a moral example. He's the best possible example and that death might be the call on our lives. But Jesus is more than an example. At his death, the skies turn black because something cosmic in nature is happening. And the sacrificial system, you know, the entire Old Testament is predicated upon, surely points to something more than an example. The ransom theory is quite strange, but was popular for centuries among many, many Christians. I'll quote from another author because he summarizes it well. 
This theory essentially teaches that Jesus Christ died as a ransom sacrifice paid either to Satan, which was the most dominant view, or to God the Father. Basically, Jesus paid off a debt that we owe either to God or to Satan. Well, this view comes under attack because it implies that we have a debt to Satan, and that gives way too much credit to that fallen angel. The Christus Victor model was probably the most widely held view until the 12th century. Rather than paying off a debt to God or the devil, it simply states that the death of Christ defeated sin and evil and therefore freed humanity from its grasp. Now that is language that we all should like. And I think now we're getting to the point where all of these theories or models Well, they can say true things without excluding the others. The satisfaction theory replaced that view. Don't worry, there's not going to be a test. I won't even be able to pass the test when this is over. Just trying to introduce some things here. But yet this focuses more on the justice of God being offended and the death of Jesus being necessary to satisfy God's demand for justice. This theory was a response to the ransom theory. Remember, that was the one that said we owed Satan some kind of debt. And so, of course, this theory says, no, we don't owe anything to Satan, but we do owe God, and our debt to God is uh, our injustice towards God. So Jesus essentially pays the price necessary for justice. Now, the most dominant view of the reformers of our tradition, the the view Luther would have espoused, uh, is called the penal substitution theory or the penal substitutionary theory. It's very similar to the previous view in that God requires something from humanity to make things right. Therefore, God becomes a human. Therefore, Christ himself is the penalty for our sins. Again, quoting from another author, in the light of Jesus' death, God can now forgive the sinner because Jesus Christ has been punished in the place of the sinner. Now, while this view was pretty widely popular on paper in a variety of church confessions, it is becoming something of a point of mockery in many circles. In fact, a a sign that a Christian is often uh, on their way to leaving orthodoxy behind and embracing a more progressive Christianity is frequently a disdain of this view, of the penal substitution view. It is often labeled cosmic child abuse, painting God as an abusive father towards his son, making him die an entirely avoidable death. Of course, that soundbite neglects the reality that Jesus offers his life freely. Now, there are some other views, but I thought instead of considering them, we should consider a number of biblical texts, texts that should be very familiar to us, After all, on Good Friday, we we do read the entire Passion narrative, but there are other scriptures that really shed more 
uh, deep theological light on the nature of the atonement. And I think in all of these texts, you'll see some threads, some constants that are weaved in and out of them. For example, 1 Peter 2.24. He himself, and by the way, this is a quotation really from Isaiah 52 and 53, which we heard tonight. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. There you have the bearing of sins for us so that we can be freed from our sins. That seems to be language of exchange, of satisfying God's wrath. Later in 1 Peter, he writes, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. From the most didactic or teaching of all the books of the New Testament, Romans, Paul writes, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more surely then, now that we have been justified by his blood, we will be saved through him from the wrath of God. To connect Jesus to the Hebrew scriptures, we heard from Hebrews uh, 10 earlier. This is from Hebrews 9. And, and this is important because the author of Hebrews, who is theorized, but we don't know exactly who it may have been, uh, the author is connecting the Old Testament now to the New, the crucifixion of Christ, the, the sacrifice of Christ, the work of atonement to the Old Testament scriptures. He writes, But when Christ came as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. And then finally, the gospel in miniature. As I said a few weeks ago, very similar to 1 Peter 2, this is 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake he made him to be no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, all of these scriptures powerfully speak to the sacrificial nature of Jesus' death for you, for me, as a blessed exchange of his righteousness for our sin. He pays a price that we cannot, so that we do not have to even try, so that we can be restored to our Father without fear of judgment. Now, I don't know if any of those theories or maybe some combination of those theories perfectly tell the, the, the story about the atonement. Here's what I do know. From the Garden of Eden until today, our sin wreaks havoc on the world. Our lust our war, our greed, our anger, 
our envy, our lies, they lead to suffering and they are an affront to our holy and just and good and merciful creator. Given the scriptural witnesses of the sacrifice in the temple for the forgiveness of sin, the beginning of sin from a tree, that's a, a theme for sure, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of the cross. The passages that speak of the saving power of Jesus' blood and the blessed exchange, Jesus' death was surely more than a mere example. The very heavens shook when Christ was crucified because something in the fabric of the creation would never again be the same. The hope of the entire fallen creation would be found only in Christ. For only Christ was the perfectly innocent God-man who could pay the price for our sin. What we have heard on Good Friday is that he did, willfully and fully, so that we can be free. That is why he had to die, and that is why we call this Friday Good Friday. Amen.